Good morning, everyone. Coffee and donuts are out there, bagels. You should all be hitting your sugar highs about right now. Now, it's good to see you all. Uh, when my wife and I, uh, we used to live in Indiana for a couple of years, and uh, when we lived there, we hosted a foreign exchange student from Australia, and her name was Ree. And Ree was from Perth, and uh, she's become a great family friend of ours, and we've actually stayed touch over the years, despite her being 13 hours ahead of us. Um, and anyways, when, we were, when she was living with us, we decided uh, that we were going to take a trip to the roller coaster capital, capital of the world, Cedar Point. Has anybody in here been to Cedar Point before? Yeah, right? Now, if you like coasters, like Cedar Point is the place to go, okay? And if, if you don't like coasters, like don't waste your time, don't waste your money, just go to Holiday World or something. Um, but anyways, uh, Cedar Point, man, it's, I love roller coasters. There's not a ride on this planet that I will not get on. Now, Ree, she said that she had been on a few coasters before, and she loved them, and she was getting all excited, uh, getting all excited to go. And on the way there, you know, she was talking all the smack about how she's going to ride all these rides, you know, getting all arrogant, a little cocky. And I tried to warn her. I was like, Ree, listen, like, there are some, there are some big-time coasters at Cedar Point. Like, I'm not so sure if you're going to want to ride all of them. And she just shrugged it off. She was like, of course I'm going to ride all of them. Like, why else would I go? I was like, all right, let's do it. So anyways, we get there, and uh, we rode a few rides up front. Uh, but then it came time to ride the big one, okay, the Top Thrill Dragster. Now, when this ride was built, it was the tallest and fastest coaster in the world. I've got a picture of the Dragster that I want us to go ahead and show here. Um, this thing, how many of you guys in here rode this? A few of you, right? Okay, if you've not, this thing is like the most intense ride. 420 feet tall, you go zero to 120 in four seconds, 90 degrees up, and some of y'all are like, no way, right? Some of y'all are like, I am not riding that thing. Um, anyways, like when this thing takes off, like your ears touch, okay? I mean, it is just like the most like intense ride that I've ever been on. So anyways, re-saw this thing, and now all of a sudden... She wasn't so sure, right? She, all of that arrogance and all of that was starting to come to a halt. And then we did the classic, like, oh, come on, you can do it, you can ride it, you can ride it. And we peer pressured her, and she dug her heels in, and she completely backed out. She was like, no way, I am not riding that monster. So anyways, after I rode it, uh, we, we took this picture together. This is 2013. There's me and Ree. Uh, I'm with Chicken, okay? <laughs> and so I send this picture to her every year on her birthday as a just a holy reminder of humility, right? That she needs to remember uh, that how she was all talk in that moment. Have you guys ever noticed that, uh, that we as Christians, man, we have a whole lot of things that we like to say because they sound nice, but whenever the rubber goes to meet the road, we have a, a lack of follow-through sometimes? That if we're honest with ourselves, this is, this is how we can be in our faith. Now, I'm not trying to make you walk out of here feeling worthless, okay? So don't hear me say that. No one changes for the better by the power of shame, but I just want us to reflect on this this morning. The question I want us to ask ourselves if we were to kind of put a mirror right in front of us is do we have faith or do we have fluff? Do we act on our faith or, man, is it all just talk? 
So this is week seven of our series in the book of Hebrews. Throughout this series, we have been, we've been seeing how much Jesus really changed things specifically for the Jewish Christians who this letter was written to. So we've been journeying through this book for the last couple of months. And in Hebrews, the author warns their audience, hey, don't drift back. Right? Don't fall back. Don't start slipping back to the Jewish practices. Don't slip back into the old ways of practicing your faith and the old way of sacrificing. Because the blood of Jesus has changed so much. It's flipped the script. And so don't drift back, but rather let's keep our eyes on Jesus and let's stay anchored to his words. So if you guys have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to encourage you to open up to Hebrews chapter 11. And in our passage today, we're going to see how the author talks about faith and how people were commended for their faith. Now, but before we get to our passage, I want us to think about faith for a moment. You know, faith is one of those words that we use all the time, but what does it actually mean? You know, the last time I preached here in Champaign, I talked a little bit about uh, this pendulum effect, right? How so often things are on a pendulum and we can so quickly move from one extreme to the other, right? We see an issue, instead of finding a healthy balance in the middle, we find ourselves swinging these pendulums back and forth in life. I give the example of a diet, right? You, you, you feel like you need to get in shape and so you cut off all the unhealthy food, you swing the pendulum to the far other side, But it's not sustainable because we went there way too far, way too fast, and we find ourselves going right back to eating unhealthy again. And faith is no different, that there's this pendulum effect that happens in faith. And there's this tension that needs to be found, this healthy balance in the middle. On one one side of the pendulum, maybe, maybe perhaps your life is going really, really well. Right? And that's, that's fair, right? For some of us, you know, life's not falling apart. Maybe you've got a solid job. Maybe you've got a good home. Your cars aren't broken down. You've got a healthy family, healthy marriage. For whatever it is, you're not worried about too much that you're just living your life. And this is where some people would jump in and be like, oh, man, how easy it must be. How easy it must be for you to have faith. Like, your life is not that difficult. Right? But I would actually argue the opposite. I think that it's in this moment where, where we grow so comfortable in our lives that we forget to have faith. Right? That, that we're just going through life and there's not a whole lot of challenge and so we can just start to build into our routines so much that we forget our dependency on God. Right? And that, that in that dependency, I mean, you can have nice stuff, right? You can have all that without Jesus, But in our our issue that we have with sin, we are completely and holistically dependent on the grace of God. Or maybe on the other side, maybe, maybe, man, life is just so difficult right now, right? It seems like the world is throwing everything at you and you're just going against it. And you're trying to decide, man, what am I going to do next, right? You're beyond your max. You've hit your limits and you're not sure what you're going to do. And I would say on that side of the pendulum, it's in those moments where we start to lose faith. We start to question God. God, why is this happening? Where are you? And what am I going to do? So what we have to do as a church and as Christ followers, we have to decide and we have to determine what does it look like to have faith when life is good and bad? What does it look like in the middle that faith has traction in our life? And it's more than just fluff. Our faith is, must be more than just some nice words that we string together because they sound great. So what does faith look like when we start to live it out? 
So I want to read for us Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So Hebrews chapter 11, it is commonly referred to as the hall of faith, okay? And there are many examples of people throughout Scripture that have faith, and in this chapter, their faith gets remembered. But the, before the author gets there, this chapter starts by calling to attention some very crucial and key aspects and features of faith. And so we have to ask, what is faith? And here's what we can glean from Hebrews chapter 11, that faith is something we do more than just claim. Because faith requires proclamation and obedience. But we have to have both, right? Because if all we do is claim faith, then we have not allowed the grace that we've received because of our faith to change who we are. That transformation piece is lacking. If all we do is proclaim it, we forget to allow faith to change us, and then we will, be, we will quickly be in a place where there is no fruit of our faith. Or likewise, if all we have is obedience, then all we do is, is we can so quickly just start to have our identity and our foundation shaped and molded by these tasks and these accomplishments. We can go, oh, look at all the things that I've done. But man, we, and we can so easily get to this place where we just try to start to earn our salvation. But rather faith, faith is a confession of our sin. It's a profession of who Jesus is, and it's this life that is fully surrendered in obedience to God and His will. Now, you guys have may have seen this illustration before. It's this simple but kind of powerful illustration if we can keep it at the forefront of our mind. When you think about sitting in a chair, you, it requires some faith, right? I didn't see any of you guys come in this morning kind of inspecting your chairs. I didn't see any of you guys uh, doing that like awkward, you know, when you don't, like, don't fully trust a chair and you kind of just like half sit in it, like just in case it breaks. You know what I mean? Have you guys ever had that? Um, man, this, so when we think about sitting in a chair, it takes faith. But what's your faith in? Because it's, it's got to be more than just the, the chair, right? But rather, our faith is in the one who made the chair. Because a chair can look super great and still break. It's like that scene from The Patriot at the very, very beginning, right? The dad's making these chairs, and it's like, it's this beautiful, it's chairs, like, oh, it's perfect, it's perfect, it's perfect. And he sits down, and it shatters, right? And he gets up, and he, he like, throws it into the corner with all the other broken chairs, Right? A, a chair can look like a chair, but can still break on you. So rather, our faith is more so is in, it's in who made the chair, that they made it correctly, right? That it, that it is going to hold you. And, but we get to this place where it's no question, right? We just, we just get to this place where we just sit down. We can fully trust that the chair is going to hold our weight. And the same is true in our faith, that we must get to this place where we fully trust the one who made everything. And that's what verse 3 reminds us, is that our faith is in the one who's unseen. It's in God. And we have to get to this place where we can fully trust him. It's not even a thought that we can just, we can just sit down because we know that he's got this. And so our faith is in the unseen. We can see his creation our faith is in the one who made everything ex nihilo out of nothing. That my faith and trust is in the Almighty. It's in God who spoke everything 
into existence. And then Hebrews 11, it continues, verses 4 through 38, the author starts to reinforce this idea that faith must be lived out. And the, the author, they list out these, this long list of heroes who were commended because of their faith, and it's example after example of people who are well known throughout Jewish history that displayed their faith. And this is what people refer to as the hall of faith. Now, we're not going to read the whole thing, but I want to highlight uh, the people that are in here. But take notice of why they are in here. There's this, there's this cadence that starts to take place. And so take notice. Here's what it says. It says, by faith, Abel brought a better offering. By faith, Enoch pleased God. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Abraham moved to the promised land and he started a nation. And by faith, Isaac blesses his sons. And by faith, Jacob blessed Joseph's sons. And by faith, Joseph spoke about the exodus. And by faith, Moses' parents, man, they put him in this basket amongst the genocide. And by faith, Moses left Egypt and became the man that God needed him to be. And by faith, the Israelites, they, they left Egypt, they walked through the Red Sea, they saw the walls of Jericho fall. And by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, she welcomed Israelites, the spies of Israel, and welcomed them into her home. And then verses 32 through 38, it just lists all the people that the author, as it says, is, I don't even have time to talk about all of these people. But all of these people were remembered because of their faith and what they did, not what they said they would do. And why? Because faith is, is not a reality, or faith isn't real until it's a reality that we live out. When you look through this list of people, and you can study each and every one of them, look at all of their stories in the Old Testament. Man, they had some faith in some really difficult moments. Because faith is not some magic pill that's going to make life easy all of a sudden, but rather faith makes life worth it. When you look at Noah, he built an ark when the entire world was against God and full of evilness. When you look at Moses, he went back to Egypt and he faced Pharaoh that despite that, at any time, Pharaoh could have just killed him. And you can go on and on in Scripture and find example after example of people having great faith despite the overwhelming circumstances. And so for us, what we need to ask, what we need to ask is, is Jesus worth following? Because if Jesus is who our faith is in and our faith makes all of it worth it, then we have to ask, is Jesus worth following? Because if he's not, if he's not worth following, then why have faith? What's the point? When life gets hard and we come against some overwhelming circumstances, will you maintain to have your faith? Or do we quit? Because we have to ask, is Jesus worth it? Is he worth following? Because if he isn't worth following, then our faith can quickly get twisted and used in so many different ways. Because unfortunately, people can use the idea of faith in a lot of wrong ways. I remember I was having this conversation with this woman that was connected to our church, and she was telling me about just the darkest days of their life and how they lost their baby just a few months after he was born. Man, people can say the worst things in a tragedy. That this woman, she was telling me that she had this friend that just looked her in all seriousness and said, you know, if you would have had more faith, God would have saved your baby. Is that what faith is? Is faith this 
tool that we use to guilt trip people, even, especially during their darkest hour. But man, you, know, you want to know who showed real faith? The mother, right? The mother who just lost her son and didn't blame God for it. This woman that trusted God in this moment, and now she uses her story to, to tell people exactly how good God is. This mother who tells people it wasn't her faith that put her in that circumstance, but rather it was her faith that got her through it. That is faith, that despite these overwhelming circumstances, despite when her back was against the wall, she remained faithful to Jesus. Man, may our faith be the same. May our faith be a faith that we live out because it's something that we are actively doing, not just claiming. I want to keep reading in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 through 40. Here's what it says. It says, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together, with us, they would be made perfect. This is talking about the people, this list of people, this long list of people throughout the Old Testament that I just kind of read through really quickly. But it talks about how they were all commended for their faith because God doesn't forget his faithful servants. But for all of their greatness, for all of the blessings that God gave them, these heroes of faith did not receive the promise. Now, they received blessings, and God made many promises to his people throughout the Old Testament, and he kept all of those promises. But those were received along the way. But the ultimate blessing, or as the NIV states, this promise was not given under old dispensation, that God kept that promise until Jesus came. Because Jesus and his work on the cross is what's greater. And you and I, we get to experience the fullness of that. And so these people of faith in the Old Testament, man, they, they died not knowing what the something greater was. They didn't, they didn't have that right in front of them. Yet they still lived great lives of faith. Because what mattered to them was their relationship with God and their faith that they had in Him. And because of that, they did great things. And it didn't matter if faith and obedience to God made things difficult. It didn't matter if they had to sacrifice. In fact, many of them had to make great sacrifices throughout their life. But what mattered was this continued faithfulness that was lived out in constant obedience. You know, I think for us, so many times we can get our faith right in front of us and we go, oh man, our faith, man, it just, it just needs to fix this, right? But your faith is not about solving whatever issue is right in front of you, but we do this all the time, right? Where we say, God, it'd be great if you could just do this. God, if I have faith, shouldn't my life be just a little bit easier? God, if, if you do this, then I will have faith. But that's not what we're commended for, that we get commended for our faith no matter the outcome. Even if you don't receive the promotion, even if you don't get your way, even if someone else experiences success in front of you, whatever it is, if you don't receive X, will you still have faith? That you are committed to Jesus no matter what. That's faith. Is what matters to you, continued faithfulness. That's lived out in constant obedience. Because man, a faith like that, watch out. Because God can use that. We see throughout Scripture and history what God can do with even the faithfulness of one person. And we know that the faith of one can impact the rest. 
you think through these people in the Old Testament and the, the impact that they had, these pillars of faith, do we all of a sudden think that God is done honoring faith? We know that he's not. Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Guys, faith is pleasing to God that no matter the outcome, no matter the circumstance, no matter how hard it is, when we can display faith, when we can start living it out, it pleases God. And he will reward those who earnestly seek him. Or I would put it this way. Because faith honors God, God honors faith. And when God honors faith, there is nothing that he can't do. Now, I want to be clear. I want to, I want to be able to set our expectations clearly because we can hear that. And I think many of us, we can get a little starry-eyed, right? We can, we can start going, oh, man, like God, he wants to use me to reach the thousands. He wants to use me to reach the masses. And yes, he could, and he might. But let's not minimalize, let's not minimize the eternal impact of reaching even one. That we know that there is great rejoicing in heaven when a lost person comes to is found and it comes to know who Jesus is. And so you want to reach the masses? Great. But what about one? Is that worth the sacrifice? Is that worth the years of investment that it might take? Because I don't know what it looks like in your guys' life, but I've got someone in my life that I have been praying for earnestly for years. Man, and he's still far from God. And I continue to pray for this guy. And my hope, my desire is that he is in a, he's in a place where he's lost, but he would understand the goodness of Jesus and that he would place his faith in him and be baptized. And that would bring so much joy to my life. But is this years and years and years of friendship and investment and me continuing to point him to who Jesus is, and I'm still not there yet? And so is it worth it? Is, is your faith in Jesus worth it, even though it might take a whole lot longer than you want? Because if we aren't willing to do it for one, then we shouldn't be willing to do it for the masses. We must be faithful always. Because faith is measured in obedience, not an outcome. The outcomes of our faith or the fruit of our faith cannot be based on appearance or performance. That's just pride and selfishness coming through. But may the benchmarks of our faith and may it be bold prayers. May it be sharing the gospel. May it be radical generosity with both our time and our treasures. May those be the benchmarks of our faith that we live out. But ultimately, may our faith be rooted in obedience no matter what God asks of us. Guys, as we take a moment to reflect on all of this, we need to ask what would I be commended for? And, or just maybe we start, would I be commended for my faith? And if it's true, what would I be commended for? I would ask you this, if the author of Hebrews was to write out about your faith, what would it say? 
what about your life would, you, would your faith be highlighted for? Would it commend you for your faith that you lived out in trust and obedience? Or would it just talk about a faith that we put into practice on Sunday mornings? But hear me say this, we're not going to get this right all the time. We're going to mess this up. And this isn't about, about getting things perfect. Because that's impossible. But are you trying to allow your faith to have the traction in your life, the weight in your life, that it says, you know what? It's worth it. Whatever God asks of me is going to be worth it. But guys, we're not going to get it right. There are going to be moments in your life that make you struggle, that make you question, that make you doubt. And God is big enough to handle all of that. But despite all of it, we have grace. And God will continue to forgive you as long as we ask for forgiveness and we repent of our sin. But may we see the example set out before us in Hebrews 11. And may we strive to live out our faith and trust in obedience. But I want to challenge us in this. Let's not wait on this. The gift of God is not something that you have to wait to open, that we can enjoy it now. And if you have not placed your faith in Jesus yet, if you do not believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the forgiveness of your sins that can be offered by that faith, man, what are we waiting on? That we can place our faith in Jesus today and we can enjoy his grace, we can enjoy his love, his forgiveness, and we do not have to wait on that. And if you already have a relationship with Jesus, if you've placed your faith with him already, then I ask you, what is the fruit of your faith? How are you putting it into action? You know, uh, going on this morning, you probably saw the tables as you walked in. We have started what we call our serve fair. And in our surf fair, it's just an opportunity for you to get plugged into serving at our church. And guys, I don't know if you know this or not, there are needs in every single ministry of our church. We need you. And so don't wait on this. Guys, it doesn't matter. There's needs in creative arts. Even if, you, even if you can't sing worth a lick or be able to play an instrument, there are tech teams, right? We have cameras, we have sound, we have uh, the things, a pro presenter, whatever it is. There are things that get popped up on the screen. All of that takes volunteers, right? We have a kids ministry that needs you. And how amazing is it that our church is able to offer a ministry that is geared specifically for the age groups that we have, that they can hear about Jesus, that's engaging to their level. Our student ministry, man, I've spent the last four years in our student, or last seven years in our student ministry, both as a volunteer and on staff. We need you. I can tell you right now, I have one leader for junior high ministry. One. We need you. Our guest services. The coffee doesn't make itself. The donuts get, don't get set out. Things aren't clean. Things aren't prepared. And anytime I'm working with guest services, this is just a great reminder, and this might be you today, and I don't know if it is or not, but any given Sunday, it might be someone's first or last chance giving God a chance. It might be their first time giving God a chance, it might be their last time giving God a chance. And guest services play such a huge role in the experience of a Sunday. We need you. 
So I wanna, I wanna challenge you guys, I wanna encourage you guys. If you're not serving, man, stop by the tables on your way out and fill out a card. And there are so many different levels. Maybe you've got a crazy schedule. Maybe you can only serve once a month. Great, we need you. Maybe you can serve every week. That's fantastic. We need you. But you can put your faith into action right here today. Let's go ahead and move to our time of response this morning. Each and every week, we take some time to respond in a few different ways. And so if you have your communion elements, I want you to go ahead and get those out and get that ready. And I don't know if this is your first time joining us or maybe you've been with us for a long time, but if you have faith, if you have a relationship with Jesus, we invite you to take communion this morning. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat down with his disciples and they had a meal together. Man, what I would have given to be there for this. This is like one of the, my favorite moments in Scripture where Jesus, he just pauses this meal knowing what's coming. And he set up this practice for his disciples and it's echoed throughout history even today that we take communion to remember Jesus. We remember the sacrifice that he made. We remember exactly what our faith is in. That God, out of his great and infinite love, he sent his son, his only son, Jesus, to this earth. And Jesus, he came, he took on flesh, being the son of God, he lived this perfect life, and then he laid that life down for us in place of our sin. He took the sacrifice, he took the punishment that we deserve. And he died. But then three days later, he raised from the grave. That is what our faith is in. It's in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And man, the eternal impact that it has. That our salvation is secured for eternity. But on that night, in that meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Likewise, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Take and drink. That we do this in remembrance of Jesus. And so we call this our time of response, and that's intentional because we take time to respond in a few different ways. We take time to respond through taking communion together. We take time to respond by reading God's word and trying to understand it more and to grow in our faith. And we take time to sing some songs. And I wanna encourage you guys, the words on the screen, they're not just there for us to read, but rather a time that we can exalt the name of Jesus together as his church, unified as the body of Christ. So we want you to sing. We invite you to raise your hands as a sign that Jesus is above everything else in our lives. We take time to pray. So whatever you need this time to be, I invite you to do that. If you need to sit and pray and reflect, then do that. If you need to stand and shout and celebrate the faith that you have in Jesus, then we invite you to do that. 
but would you take time to respond this morning? The last way that we respond is through our giving of our tithes and our offerings. We understand that God has been so incredibly generous with us, and so we are generous in response to him. And you can do that by dropping, uh, we have a given respond boxes by the doors on your way out, or you can do that by downloading our app. But would you pray with me as we prepare to respond today? Lord Jesus, we praise you for the work that you've done on the cross. God, we understand that it took an immense amount of love and what a sacrifice it was for you to give your son up for us. But God, you did it because you love us. May we respond with an unwavering faith that is lived out in constant obedience. God, I pray that it's more than just words. I pray that it's more than just fluff. I pray that our faith, it's not just all talk, but we would put our faith into action in whatever you ask of us. And so God, I pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts this morning, that it would convict us, that it would speak to us clearly. And God, we would have the wisdom and the discernment to know exactly where you're leading us as a church and as individuals who claim faith in you. We trust you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.